welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. Hey Mike, welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. How are we doing? Doing great. It's a, it's a Friday afternoon heading into a long weekend and a, a vacation week at that. So it's pretty pretty good place to be. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, well, thanks for coming on the show, Mike. And I guess the few opening questions I tend to say is I tend to ask my guests um, kind of what's their log line or, you know, how do they summarize themselves in a sentence? Um, what, what would yours be? Well, I think just sort of eternally curious is kind of a good way to, to capture me, or at least the way that I would capture myself. Um, I've always just enjoyed the process of, of learning. Even when I was a school kid, I didn't think school was so bad because I like to learn and, um, you know, started at a young age and, and have never stopped. Okay, cool. Internally curious. I like that. That's really good. So the next, the next thing I, I tend to ask my guests is kind of be how, you know, I've got a list of numbers here, and what I want you to do is I want you to pick four numbers from from me, please. So it's from one to a hundred. So just any four. Um, I lo- I lost you a little bit right there. Could you just repeat that one more time? Yeah, sure. So what I need you to do for me now, Mike, if you could, is I need you just to pick four numbers from me, from one to a hundred. Okay. Uh, just randomly. Yep. Uh, okay, fourteen, twenty three. 47 and 52. Perfect, perfect. To be honest, with most of my uh, my, my guests on the show, that tends to be the hardest question. <laughs> yeah, it was not easy. It's surprisingly difficult. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one. And we will come back to that. Okay, cool. But I guess, you know, I just want to start right back at the start, really, with you, Mike. You know, when you was in school and the teacher would say, Mike, what is it you want to be when you grow up? What is it you would say back to that teacher? Oh, I think um, when I was a kid, I, I, like a lot of folks, I wanted to be a professional athlete. So probably professional baseball player when I was young. Is that something you've kind of took going from kind of a childhood into, into adult life? Do you still practice baseball and stuff? Do you still play or do you not do Yeah, this? Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to, to get a pickup game of, of baseball anymore, but I played uh all through growing up so from before school was out until school started again at the end of the summer okay okay interesting all-star teams and traveling teams and um all that sort of stuff and and played in college a little bit too so i I got um, a bit along the way and then at some point um you know it 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 wasn't fun anymore and turned into more of a uh, a bad job and then so that that's where it kind of ended for me in college okay Superb. Okay, so so I guess you know for for me, Mike, I, I've spoke to you on on Twitter and kind of LinkedIn and stuff, and I think I came across you. I heard you the first time I ever heard you. I, I've seen you writing, you know, in your your, your your tweets and stuff. But I think it was on Lloyd Dean's um, podcast. Yes. Is it Future of Learning? I think it's yep. called. Yep. Yep. That's right. Awesome podcast. But for for from a guest who who kind of don't know who you are, maybe you could give us a bit of a a whistle-stop tour of kind of your start from where you started through all the right to where you are right now. Yeah, so I, 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 when I first got out of school, I started my first job. I was I was a programmer. Uh, I loved the the logic challenges of that, but I really couldn't stand the, the solitude. So uh, fast forward, you know, I was in a job that I wasn't really crazy about, and I was young enough and 
single and had the flexibility. I just, I just quit my job and didn't have anything lined up. And, you know, pretty shortly after that, I sort of saw a job posting in an adult education program. And I always thought even when I was younger, like, you know, teaching in some form would be a pretty cool job to have and helping people and, and all that sort of stuff. So that sort of started me down learning path or as a profession. And then the place I was teaching was a vocational school. They had some software training services that they offered. So I thought, oh, that sounds pretty cool. So I went, slid over and I did some software training for a while. Um, that led me, you know, out of my hometown into Columbus, the bigger city. And doing stand-up software training for a while sort of led to what I think is pretty natural evolution into, okay, well, I can teach this now. I, what about designing it? And so getting into some instructional design and then next step beyond that is like, okay, well, I can do this for online uh, experiences and stuff like that. And so it's been kind of, to me, a normal transgression uh, through that. And I've been really super fortunate to have been in some roles where I've gotten to do you know, all parts of it from beginning to end, from designing to developing and implementing. And uh, for a while, I was a training department of one. So I feel really fortunate. I've had the variety and the depth of background in all these different areas. And so, you know, I feel, like I said, really, really fortunate to have had that opportunity. Cool. Okay. So, so kind of, so as it stands right this second, what, what does your typical day-to-day look like? So I just recently left. I was at a startup for about four years and shifted gears. So I've been now six weeks into a consulting role. So I work for a consulting company and I'm on a project, uh, sort of big corporate software implementation project that a lot of people are probably somewhat familiar with. So uh, on site at clients, you know, pretty well 40 hours a week and working with a team in a, in a larger project team working with training and uh, planning it, ultimately, you know, rolling it out. And, and again, kind of the front to back of that whole process for this training effort. Cool, cool. So I'm, I'm really intrigued, actually, because I've, I've kind of been in a startup before and kind of gone into corporate and yeah, been into consultants myself, I guess. What's, what's been, you know, what do you see the biggest differences from like a startup environment right through to kind of, you know, this, the large corporate environments, what we're working now or in the consultancy environment? What do you think the biggest differences are? I think the biggest difference from what I have seen is just uh, from terms of flexibility. So when you're in a startup, at least the startup I was on, you're, you have a lot more tools at your disposal. So you're typically not behind a firewall. Um, you know, if you compare that to sort of the bigger end of the corporate world, you know, you've got firewalls, you can't even put software on your computer. It's very much uh, more focused on things that you can't do versus in the startup, you know, the possibilities are comparatively endless. So I think that's probably the most significant difference for me. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? I guess when you're in the startup, you just pick the tool that gets the job done the best way. And yet, yeah, <laughs> and then we go into these kind of corporate consultancy worlds. That's kind of perceived. That's kind of already been kind of prescribed to you. This is a tool you're going to use, and you know sometimes it's necessarily to the IT box, but not necessarily the users. 
to use his buck, so to speak? Yeah, and it's and it's. Um, I mean, it it really drastically cuts down your the number of options for you know the tools you can choose, and if if there's not, you know, some basic minimum of of ecosystem in place, like you, it's it can be really tough, and you've got to be super super creative to find ways to navigate through and, and around a lot of obstacles that you wouldn't have in other places. Yeah, it's um. It just reminds me of I was working with a client, um, and basically they, they they came to us to kind of say, we need um we need a, a collaborative community space, and it's got to be a place where we can you know work together and, and working kind of you know little scrum teams or whatever, and and just giving up you know the usual specifics of a good community and collaboration space. And I I was sat there talking to him, and I said, well, you're kind of already using Slack. Why do you need us to build one for you when you've already figured out your patch to make that work? And she, and the person was like, "Oh, it's a really good tool, Slack." I was like, "So why can't you just really, you know, flex and bend that to to what meets your needs? Because it's going to be a lot more flexible than anything what you buy." And and I think yeah, that's 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 right. I think there's. I just had a conversation with some some folks online this week about, in fact, Slack, and. You know, it's also the second piece is not just having the tool, but then using it in the right way or in the best way. And I think a lot of times if you're using like Slack can be a great tool, but if it's being used as, you know, just another place for email, like that's not really the way it's probably not the best use of it. If that makes any sense, like how you use it is also important. So those two things kind of have to go together. Yep, I completely agree. I, I think it's it's interesting when, you know, the, the kind of message what I asked the lady was like, why? And they said, oh, our company won't allow us to use Slack. And I was like, ah, so you as a user have fixed out your way to work around this problem and actually probably get the real good results. But because the business can't use Slack, you're going to go out now and spend an absolute fortune on something what will do what probably Slack does, but just probably nowhere near as well. And Right. And it, it goes back to kind of you say, you know, if you're using Slack to replace email, then all you've got, you've just got a like for like. You know, you've got, rather than getting emails, you're just getting bombarded by text messages, you know, sorry, text messages, but constant kind of instant message and whatnot. And it's it's kind of like for like if there's no kind of, not necessarily rules and processes, but kind of just guidelines. Yeah. And then that's, that's was what I was, my next thought was like, if, if you've got a group of people and no two people have the same vision of, of how they're supposed to use it, right? Like it just becomes just another place I have to go and it's, it can be seen as more of a, a problem than a solution, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I love this community and kind of, it's not really necessarily community manager, but more community building role. I love the, the idea of kind of, you know, a lot, my instant question is, is, Actually, you don't need an LMS. What you need is a community. That's usually my go-to. And that, you know, a lot of times that's what people need. Um, but you think they want an LMS or whatever. But I kind of want to just touch upon you a little bit and a little bit about your story, if I could, Mike. So, you know, in in when we go for interviews and whatnot, and, you know, we kind of drummed into us to say, okay, you should tell us, you should use this moment to say everything about everything what you've done really, really great 
and showboat a little bit. But actually, I think there's a better question to be asked there, and it's more along, actually, what does your failure resume or failure CV look like? And tell me more about that. So, uh, given yeah, that that's, question... That's, that's a bit harder of a question, isn't it? Yeah, and and I think it, it, it you get more, I think you get more from that, but assuming that now, right, what what would your what would your failure resume look like? What's been the biggest thing where potentially maybe you've either failed and it's been actually a real big positive later on down the line, or is there anything what kind of jumps out to mind? Yeah, um, I, I'm 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 kind of struggling to think about that. Can we come back to that? Can we circle back and let me think about it while we talk about something else? Yeah, sure, for, sure thing, okay. no problem. So, um. These questions, what I'm going to ask next, like they can be, you know, quick fire, or we can jump in deep to them. I don't really mind. But if you were to give a gift of a book to five people, what book would you give? Uh, I think one of my favorite books, and I'm not certain of the of the of the title, but I think it was Learned Optimism, and it was uh, the guy who sort of was a pioneer first started the whole field of, of positive psychology and sort of the basic thing that I took away from that is you know the way that you view the world and, and your perspective has far larger impact than most people probably think and you know if you have this positive attitude you know, they did a study and they they I think they traced uh, graduates from from Harvard over the course of 40 or 50 years. And they found that didn't matter what your job was, didn't matter about a lot of other things that most people would think is important. You know, how you perceive the world and did you have good friendships and really sort of elementary basic things that, that you know, everyone would, would hope to have. And those had the biggest impact on obviously happiness, but then even longevity of, of how long you live. And so for me, that's been kind of a uh, pretty impactful book that i that i've read oh, okay i've never i've never came across that one i'll, I'll add that to my, my, my reading list for sure yeah it's really fantastic stuff okay this next question so i guess you know let's 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 paint this beautiful picture but basically you've bought a billboard and a million people are going to come out of a stadium and we're going to see this message what you put on that billboard and you're going to have a potential opportunity to change a million people's mind days ideas or minds on something what what message would you put on that billboard yeah i think it's 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 not uh anything that's sort of super creative or snazzy it's just you know the golden rule be be kind to people be empathetic um put yourself in other people's shoes and treat them the way you would like to be treated no matter what, I think that's 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 pretty much it. If if we could get more people in the world to do that, I mean, think of think of what what could happen. Yeah, I mean, that's it, right? It's kind of sometimes it is the simplest things which get the most, you know, the most traction, I guess. And something like I think we see this a lot of time in corporate environments. We kind of overanalyze these big values and stuff and these behaviors, mm-hmm. and actually, it just comes down to be kind. Absolutely, and and there's doesn't matter the context, right? Like work or personal or um, at home or traveling or any of that sort of stuff. It just sort of is a universal thing that holds true, hopefully. Yeah, let's hope. Let's, let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to your, and this could be in your personal life or your professional, I guess, 
but what's so I use this analogy of an 80-20 um, so an example is you know 80% of your contacts in your mobile phone you only dial 20% of the time where the other 20% you dial 80% of the time so what's what's your biggest 80-20 I mean it could be in your personal or professional life what's your biggest 80-20 hack 80-20 hack. Oh gosh, that's really good. So, so I think 80-20 hack is from, from sort of personal learning. Um, and like I said, I'm really curious. And so I spend time every morning uh, reading. I think I, last time I checked my, my feed reader, I had almost 800 subscriptions, right? Whoa. And so, which sounds like a lot, but you know, I have that segmented and it's in an 80, 20 sort of thing. So I have my A list and I have a B list and I have everything else. So every day, the best stuff is in my A list. So I check that every day. Uh, if I find a few extra minutes, then I'll pop into my, my B list. And, you know, if I have time on the weekends or, you know, sometimes I just don't get to the everything else. And, you know, this, it's really a beautiful thing. You know, you have a couple of hundred things there sitting there, you mark all as red and it's like, it never happened. So yeah. I think, <laughs> being able to just sort of segment what's really important. So that could be in any context, right? Like there's certain activities that obviously more important than others. If you can identify what your A-list is and make that a priority and then sort of, you know, you'll get to the rest as you can, I think to me is, is a pretty powerful approach. Mm, okay. Okay. So, you know, when, when I follow you on Twitter and stuff, I, I think you do share some really good, nuggets and sometimes it's tools and sometimes it's ideas and whatnot but what what and this could be desktop mobile whatever you like it may not be in it but what tools are you really paying attention to at the moment and this again could be professional or personal yeah so this one this is one that i found just just this past week uh super super slick it's called glide apps and what it does is it really can let anybody literally anybody build uh, a mobile app, but it's all based on data in Google Sheets. And so I've seen, you know, I shared it and a couple people started playing with it. People have built uh, mobile websites, uh, they built um, portfolios, resumes. I've, I, I've got a, a list of um, L&D conference that I keep all over the place. And I made, I took that and put it into a Google Sheet and I made an app out of that so super super slick and i've got a few more ideas i think our local atd chapter we're going to use that for our uh, annual conference event app and so that's that's one that sticks it sticks in my mind uh recently wow okay i'll um i'll have a play around that and shout out to acd um they did they put me in their recent magazine and i think on their website which was nice and out of blue. So yeah, big shout out to ATD, definitely. Nice. I, I feel like I should ask for your autograph before the price goes up. You will be the only person who asks for that. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so okay, I'll, I'll I'll put that in the show notes as well. That sounds like a really cool tool. And I kind of what I want to do now is I kind of want to get into a bit more about the learning. So, hands up, hands in the air, kind of. You know, I have been probably one of a few probably a few many who like to be on e-learning and you know it's an easy thing to beat so I've tried to kind of hold back on e-learning now and, and not necessarily share my thoughts but you know try and look at it from a different perspective but I'm going to quickly go through a few words 
um, buzzwords, and I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind when I say these words, Mike. Yeah, sure. Okay, first one is classroom. Uh, super valuable, I think expensive. I think we have to, you know, when we bring people together in a classroom, we've got to really make sure that we're not wasting that opportunity and, and make sure that it's super high impact. Okay. Um, next one is e-learning. Uh, e-learning. So I heard your uh, lead into that was not so good, but I think there's there's a place and time for that. So e-learning is definitely great in the right context, in the right situations, but we can't get into the place where, you know, we have an e-learning hammer and everything looks like a nail and we try to uh, apply it to everything. Very true. Very true. Um, and the last one, digital transformation. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Honestly, right? Like we hear that all of the time. And I, I would guess that if you ask 10 people what that meant, that you would get 10 different answers. Um, I don't know. Maybe you have a good definition. Maybe you could uh, enlighten me a little bit. But I'm not really sure when I hear that exactly what that means. So my take on digital transformation, I mean, digital for me is just an, another enabler, right? It's mm-hmm. it kind of, it can target an area where our people are, fish where the fish live, all that stuff. Digital transformation is, I, I kind of see it from a, more of a service service design point and actually our digital transformation has to touch every single point of that that journey so it has to interact with the people the processes the environment and that is for me a digital transformation it's not this one layer thing it's kind of everything so it's yeah. it is the environment it is the people it is the processes it is a touch point you know if you look at something from say um an onboarding right away through if you look at something from a employee life cycle from the beginning right through to the end. Yeah, and I would agree with that totally, like especially the point about putting people in processes at the foundation of that. You know, I get I get the sense that a lot of the things that I hear and read is some places are just say, okay, well, this is the latest buzzword or the latest trend, and they are doing it, but, you know, without the people and the processes at the center, then it's really just shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic sort of thing. Yeah. And I think this kind of leads me into my next question. Really. So I think for me personally, I think L and D is going through and has been for a while, a little bit of an identity crisis. And I guess, you know, we're still asking, you know, I think it's always good to kind of self assess the industry and go, are we still providing the value? Are we still doing the right things? Are we not? Blah, blah, blah. But, and uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, and I was just going to ask you the question. Like, do, where do you think L and D is right now? Do you think it's in an identity crisis, or do you think you know it firmly knows what it is, what it isn't, and kind of and whatnot? Well, I I think I have two parts to that. So I, so I think is kind of here in the United States we have a saying like all politics is local, and in L and D all situations are sort of unique. So whether kind of back to what we were talking about before, if you're in a startup, it's one environment. If you're in a corporate, it's another environment. If you're in a corporate with a robust sort of learning uh, approach to doing work, you know, that's a set versus some places there's, there's little thought given to it. And so I think the situation you sit in is a huge factor in what that looks like. Um, So I think to get to like a, 
modern sort of approach to, to workplace learning, you've got to have a couple of those factors sort of fall into line. So it's hard for one, any one person to just come to a place and magically make all this stuff happen. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, I know there's, I, I've seen a number of, of people and organizations who they just sort of revert to, oh, we're just going to fall back to the default, the same old stuff that, that we've always done. And so I guess, I guess I would say the industry as a whole maybe are not advocating for new approaches as, as much as maybe we could with the realization that there are, you know, there are other maybe external factors beyond our control sometimes, which aren't helping that along very much. Yeah, and I think it's a really interesting point you kind of mentioned because, you know, I think I see quite a lot the there's a lot of people talking about the good life and the you know, the good fight, but then I also know some of these people aren't doing the things what they're say talking about on LinkedIn, for example. Mm-hmm. And it kind of becomes this a bit smoke and mirror environment sometimes, you know. It's kind of, yes, we've got ideas and whatnot, and I, I love that. I think that's probably one of the strongest points of L&D is we share quite a lot, you know. I think there's, you know, it's a, it's a, I, I have a real dilemma with that because I think in one hand L&D shares a lot, but then I also think it's probably one of the biggest industries where we want people to share and actually we're, we're slowly putting people off from sharing. Um, and I can probably touch upon that in a little second a little bit more, but let me ask you this question then. Kind of, you know, we, we talk about this modern workforce and this mod, you know, this modern environment and whatnot, but if, if the L&D, if the L&D function was um, to be wrapped up as a person, do you think, given where it is right now, the business would have sacked L&D by now? Uh, I think we would be in danger of that, Yes. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that I see in the places that, that, that I have been is if we want to do things like digital transformation, we have to start with ourselves. So we have to start thinking of new ways to do things and, you know, back to your failure thing, we've got to experiment and try new things. Um, you know, one of the, one of the lessons that, that I learned a while back was there, there's a lot of power in calling something a pilot. So I had a, a director that I was working with at one point, we were trying to get access, I don't know, some social media tool or something like that. And we're trying to take our case to our, you know, the IT powers that be. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll just call it a pilot. And it sort of set a light bulb off to me. And so we went to him like, oh yeah, it's fine. You're just doing a pilot. It's, it's, it's no big deal. So it, if we can try new things and you know, if that's the key that unlocks the door, for us to prove the value of certain things, um, that's great. Yeah, obviously that it doesn't always work, but I guess I don't have the sense that there are very many, as a whole, people in our in our field who are have that sort of approach and that sort of thinking. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people. I think I think there's a, there's a good few people who have that thinking and and be want that you know everyone wants that environment right but i think actually the business save you want this but then providing this environment to to fail multiple times to get the the right thing at the end i don't think necessarily we see this in corporate environments where the business kind of you know sometimes what i, I guess what i'm trying to say i think is sometimes the business is its own bottleneck with stuff like yeah. this yeah i think that i think a, another thing that i think that we could 
do better as a field is we need to sort of be voracious learners ourselves. We need to be sort of ruthlessly efficient at learning what we need to learn. And then we need to transfer that to the people in our organizations to teach them like they don't need us in the middle doling out prescribed doses of learning. Like you need to take some ownership of yourself and your own learning. Like you can control that. And there are some digital tools that can help that become really efficient and valuable. So we almost have to teach people new ways of learning. And I think we should be at the leading edge of that. And if we can just, just think how powerful an organization would be if we had people that were digitally skilled, learning what they needed to learn, sharing with each other, and not requiring that learning run through any sort of formal learning department. Like that's, that's a pretty powerful concept to me, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think with L&D, we, we kind of, you know, nobody wants to put themselves out of a role, right, either. But the only way we're going to put ourselves out of a role is, like you say, by being static and by kind of not constantly having that, that open mindset to new ideas and, you know, new tools and new ways of thinking. Because I, th- I think personally, you know, my take on L&D, should it have been sacked? I think probably, yeah. Um, and the reason behind this, I think my take on it is, is, you know, given given what L and D is now, it should it should have been sat because if you get teams who work in collaboration properly, marketing, comms, you know, yeah. someone from product, service design, you know, all these can do what we do, given the tools of Google and, and whatnot. You know, I think there's a there's a, there's a there's, I think there's a good argument to argue the case of, hmm, you know, if if all your teams work efficiently and collaborate, there probably isn't a room for L and D. Maybe it's a, a an evolution of L and D, the team, um, but yeah, I think I mean, I don't. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I kind of go back and forth on, you know, would we sack and would we not? I think I think you say a lot of things there that that resonate with me. So, especially when you know comms and marketing and all this stuff, it's like those groups have got the same goals as we do, right? Like they're trying to get people's attention. They're trying to get some sort of behavior change. Generally, like it's the same goal as 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 us. But I think overall, like they do it a lot better. They do it more efficiently. And, you know, I would love to work myself out of a job in that way because I, then I'm going to be able to move on to, to something else of, of value versus, you know, I've had conversations recently about training organizations and departments, you know, are getting cut and they're outsourcing and they're doing all this stuff. So, you know, I would rather be out of a job from doing that sort of good stuff than be out of a job from being sacked or outsourced. So uh, I, that, I would take that risk every day and, and I would be happy to lose my job because it was so successful. And, and I think you, you nailed it actually there with the kind of, you know, we look at say marketing and digital marketing, they have so much data on, on us as users, as people, as, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. It makes It makes less sense not to tap into that that understanding of people, you know, we see it now in kind of L and D. You know, I mean, I use L and D as a term, but people are starting slowly but surely coming to around to human centered design and design thinking approach and empathizing and whatnot. But you know, fundamentally, if you look at the the five key elements, depending on on which way you follow design thinking, marketing have been doing this for a while. They have been empathizing with the customers for a while. They have been collecting data. They know what works, what doesn't work, 
kind of, you know, it's it, it kind of may I, I guess what I'm thinking is actually how do we just remove that barrier between the marketing and the L and D function? Well, if you figure that out, I, w- I would love to know because I think that would be a, a great benefit to to, to learning folks. Um, I've been talking about that in in places for a while now that there's a lot of things that marketing does that learning just needs to steal or, or borrow, maybe not steal, but um, the just the things that they do, the way they present things, I think they've had such a head start of being tied to results that a lot of learning folks they don't have that direct through line. So they have been forced to hone in on what works. And like you said, they do testing, they do AB testing and they, over time, they figure out and they are like light years ahead of the learning field because they've had to do that work and they've had to do the trial and error. And now they recognize that, you know, I'm competing with thousands of messages every day, just like we are, right? They recognize it. I think sometimes uh, training folks thinks people are waiting around for the next e-learning course to come out, which is way far from being true. And they recognize like, okay, well, I, I've got to use some sort of research-based psychological approach. Like, okay, what gets their attention? Okay. Colors and graphics and emotion is what drives behavior. And it's not a bullet point list of facts. So I think there's, there's a lot of us to learn from from those other areas yeah and i think it's, it's things like you say like user segmentation you know I've, I've, i'm still yet to come across an ld function what does that really well and actually you know i think once you start doing that and you can kind of start becoming a little bit more personalized with how you engage and whatnot and then you know at the opposite end you've got this kind of you know if you look at anyone who's you know mike i'm sure you've got a marketing funnel set up somewhere but actually a marketing funnel is just a real good comms and engagement touch point view yeah 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 we don't even use that in learning we don't we don't say okay what does our funnel look like for our people yeah or you know like marketers they have content strategies right it's not just everything is not uh television ads so right like you have multiple channels and certain channels are targeted at where people are in certain phases of the funnel right so for example in a learning context uh, a, a funnel you don't treat somebody who doesn't even know what you're doing the same way as you treat maybe somebody who's an expert that's been doing it for years, right? Like, and so that type of segmentation and identifying and then adapting your content to match that, it totally fits with the things that we do. And, and marketers, like I said, they're just, just light years ahead. Yeah. It's, um, it's an interesting one. I, I had a, a um, digital uh, Mark Tavon, Paul Fryer, he worked in, for a large construction company over here and I met him uh, probably about two years ago at a conference I was speaking at and he was he was doing a talk there and his approach to kind of getting new apprenticeships on, you know, new apprenticeships and, and, and grads, it was just mm-hmm. it was just so refreshing to see because, it, you know, I, I kind of had this debate, this conversation with him, it was like, y- you could blend into learning really, really quick because you're so light years ahead of a lot of people in there because they're not looking at other industries and they're not looking and they're going, hmm, I'm going to steal that because I can remix it and remold it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I think the next big, the next great, and this is, I'm, I'm using quotes here, but the next kind of big, great thought leader 
if you like, I don't like that word, but will be someone who's come from marketing and, and been dropped. Someone who who jumps out to mind, actually. Gemma Critchley from um, Aviva. Mm-hmm. Um, she has this marketing background and Charlie Neen as well. They have they have this marketing background and, and how they look at L&D is just so refreshing. So, so refreshing. Yeah, I, I that's exactly the thought as you were just saying that, um, particularly the part about somebody from marketing being easily able to translate into learning context and be successful. And I think if you had somebody maybe most people going the other direction, it'd be a, a much different story. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, so I want to get into the the um, topic of e-learning, Mike. So for me, like I mentioned, you know, I, I'm not a, a keen lover of it. And, and when I say e-learning, I mean the click next type of e-learning. Okay, let's mm-hmm. clear that one up. Um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, ID design in general, I kind of... I don't know. It's it's. I'm probably bringing them, you know, past bias and whatnot. But yeah, how, you know, how how are these? What in fact? That's it's a two point question actually. More to think about it. One, kind of, how do we sell? You know, we know businesses want want e learning in, and you know, in their eyes, it's that kind of silver bullet. But I think how how do, um, how do how are they staying relevant? Is probably the, the question. Like. You know how do how are these ID learners staying relevant in this world? What what's your take on that? Well, I I think there's a fair number of places where people are sort of the the e-learning equivalent of McDonald's. They're just waiting for somebody to pull up and say, "Hey, can you can you give me a course?" And as opposed to well, yeah, I, I would be happy to build you this e-learning course. Would you also like to hear about other, maybe more efficient, effective, cheaper alternatives? And I think that's the the reframing that is often being missed. And instead of just saying yes, I'll you know I'll be back with this on Friday with your with your e-learning course, that kind of relating back to our marketing conversation, right? We need to have a conversation and have a bigger tool set of, okay, what are we trying to solve for first before we look at any kind of delivery channels or, or that sort of stuff? So, uh, and again, the context you're in obviously has a big impact on how that process works. But to me, even if you don't, even if you're unsuccessful, if you've had the conversation and they're like, yeah, I don't care, just give me the, the e-learning course, I think we owe it to ourselves because you can imagine when you don't have the conversation and you build a course and it goes into the world and it has no impact or you know it fails poorly, the executive or the manager or whoever came to you requesting the course, they're not, they're not gonna blame themselves like, well, you know, your e-learning course was bad. Whereas if we had the conversation, hey, you know, are you open to other things? You know, you may not always succeed, but I feel like we owe it to ourselves to be a professional, right? So, you know, if you're not having these types of conversations, you're not aware of, you know, not everything looks like the e-learning nail, then can you really call yourself a professional at that point? That's a great, that's a great, 
It's a great question, actually. Because, I mean, it... It's a skill set. Like, don't get me wrong. I think building e-learning and, and good. When I say good e-learning, I mean good yeah. instructional design. It is is a skill by far. Um, you know, and I, I guess some of the things that I've noticed in our industry now is people people are, yeah, are dropping the e-learning. You know, when it when when it was a big term and people want everyone wanted e-learning, all of a sudden we see e-learners everywhere, e-learning designers. And now, obviously, because we're kind of coming back from that. I think we're slowly seeing the removal of the terms in job descriptions and job titles. But I just think, like, what what's the best piece of an instructional design you've ever seen? Maybe not. Maybe it's not even one what you've kind of built or anything, Mike. What's the, what's the one over the space of time? What's the one what jumps out to mind for you? Well, I think you know, in in general, it, it it's instructional design that to me it appeals to me is um well first of all it's it's appealing right it's something that that draws you in there's a clear some sort of a value offering to me speaks to me it's something that i want to do or need to do and it's clear uh something something that respects my intelligence and my time right like i don't want to see 22 slides of objectives and mission statements and like nobody cares about that um, but but something that I can I can get in I can get whatever that value proposition is I get it and then I can instantly be better quickly and so something that leads me to be able to do something I couldn't do before something that gives me an insight that that's valuable um, and I think it's the efficiency of that process is is one of the big draws for me personally. Okay, okay. So just to play devil's advocate, and, and I am playing devil's advocate here. So you know when a business comes to you and, and kind of says, okay, we want this instructional design or whatnot. Just going back to kind of what you're saying, you know, can we call ourselves, um, you know, professionals if we just do it without challenging? You know, and if there's an easier example to say, actually, you just need a resource rather than, you know, you just need a job aid or whatnot. You don't necessarily need to know the 250-page PDF of everything. Mm-hmm. So how, you know, for, this is probably for some of the, the guys who listen here from kind of the e-learning background and whatnot. How how do you challenge that? How how would you, what would your approach be to challenge that to maybe a large stakeholder? Um, I always use the example of GDPR because that you know over here that was um a beast to itself but mm-hmm. but maybe maybe yeah what should, what's been your past examples of that yes yeah, so, so i so i think if, if we're honest and obviously how that conversation goes it depends largely on your relationship with that stakeholder right so should sort of go without saying that you know your key stakeholders you should try to build good relationships with that's kind of easier said than done probably, but it's something that's pretty central to the, the way the conversation goes. But if we're honest and we have a good relationship with those people, and if it's really all we're doing is checking the box, well, then let's just check the box and move on and let people get back to work. Let's not send them down a 60-minute journey of clicking next and getting to stuff that's not going to change anybody's behavior. Yeah, it looks pretty, and it's jazzy and all that stuff. But like, let's just be honest. Well, let's just check the box and move on, because I've seen a ton of stuff. I mean, compliance drives a lot of 
training activities. And I've seen a lot of things that are 60 minute versions of checking the box. Well, why are you making me waste an hour if that's really truly all it is? So I think, you know, part of that first part is just being honest. Um, the second part of, of reframing is, you know, one of the things, one of my favorite things is, is sort of a, a trick from improv. Like when you're in an improv skit, you never say no, it's always yes and. And so if you can sort of use that technique, well, yes, I'm happy to build you this e-learning course. And here's four other potential options that may be better, cheaper, faster, whatever. Would you be interested in that? You know, my experience is there's not very many people who say no when you're offering them something better, faster, cheaper. And, and so um, that's something that's, that's worked well in those conversations for me personally. Okay. Can I just, I mean... You mentioned improv. Is this something you've done in the past? No, it's just I, I read it somewhere along the line, and I, I've I've seen a couple uh, examples of it happen. And you know, especially in my personal life, you know, I, I get in a, a disagreement with my wife or something. You know, if you say no or if you say but, she tells me like, well, you know, when you say that, everything after that, like, is I just disregard. And so there's probably some human psychology involved in that, but. You know, if I say yes and confirm what they've said and say and instead of no, but it's it's and most people probably have an experience with with this, whether it's in personal life or whatever. It's just a t different experience. Yeah, it's the, the moving button and placing with and is um, something I, I learned probably a few years back. Actually, it was in coaching, coaching uh, when I was going through kind of, you know, coaching my team members and whatnot. Um, but I was just really intrigued then because it's really interesting you mentioned improv. Um, one of the things which I've noticed quite recently, I've, I'm thinking about doing stand-up and I like the idea of it scares the life out of me, so 100% I should do it. Mm -hmm. um, but what I've noticed in the L&D communities is a lot of people who've done improv or stand-up or whatnot, so I was just kind of like, ooh, are you another one of the, uh, the chosen few who's gone through kind of improv and whatnot? I'm not the closest I can get is you know bad dad jokes with my kids every morning. But uh, uh, I worked with somebody at, at my at the startup I was at who went through a program at Second City in Chicago. So you know I, I can I can see the the link to that. It's interesting. It's interesting. Hey, and there's nothing wrong with um with bad dad jokes, Mike. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> I entertain nobody else but myself. But you know that's okay. <laughs> so I guess kind of. Just sticking one more question probably on this uh, at this ID kind of instructional design and whatnot. So where, if we've got people who are in the, the, the dilemma of, you know, I, I am I am sick of doing, you know, the typical instructional design, where would, what free sites would you advise? Maybe it's sites, maybe it's people to follow. What what free of, yeah, free sites, free people, whatnot, who would you recommend to follow for instructional design? So you, are you saying in the context of trying to do things differently or, or do something entirely different? It can be in it. Take it however you, however you, however you want, Mike. Yeah. So I, so I think, um, you know, just to do things better and do things well from instructional design perspective, I think it's, it's pretty hard to, to be Kathy Moore. Um, she's a, got really fantastic stuff. Uh, in sort of workplace learning stuff. Jane Hart publishes a lot of really good stuff and, and talks about 
you know, a lot of these alternatives other than traditional training or classroom or, or e-learning. Um, Mark Britz is a, is, a, is a person that I really like his stuff. He sort of has the sort of social uh, aspect to a lot of the stuff. And I think the things that he writes and, and, and talks about is going in the right direction. And it's kind of helping us connect people with people, sort of, sort of that concept. Um, you know, from a marketing perspective of the world, Seth Godin is, is fantastic. Uh, he publishes every day and it's, you know, nine out of 10 times, it's just things that will change your perspective and change your, your view on, you know, not just your work, but the world. So, so those I think are probably four pretty good places to start. Yeah. I've tried to get Seth on the podcast twice now <laughs> and every time he's declined me, but I will get him on. I will. Yeah. Good, good luck. He was, he was just the, uh, keynote at the the big ATD international conference this week. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Did you, is that something you went to? Or? Uh, I, I wasn't there, but you know, I heard lots of people raving about, you know, what he had to say, which isn't surprising at all. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting one. I think I came across Seth's book tribes years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. When I say years ago, I came across it probably two years after I built a community. And I was like, I kind of did it, and then when reading Seth's book afterwards, I was like, "Ah, that makes sense now. Why it worked." Mm-hmm. So his yeah, his books his books great. I think, I think I've read like two or three of Tribes, Purple Cow. I think he's just released a new one as well. Yeah, every everything he does is is fantastic. Yeah, he he does that all MBA as well, which looks interesting. Yeah, I actually. Uh met somebody who went through that and you know she just totally raved about it so um, it sounds like a really cool experience yeah it sounds pretty intense um but one worth definitely probably going on it's it's on my list of things to do um but we'll see we'll see yeah just uh in your free time right all that all that spare time you have nothing else you're just sitting around doing nothing oh yeah yeah i've got i've got bags of it mate bags of it (laughs) so some random questions now kind of just wrapping up a little bit Mike. but if say for instance we knew the world was going to end tomorrow okay and you had to leave instructions to jolt the next you know the next generation of people who who you know who come to earth what instructions would you leave oh man you're not giving me any easy ones here so um you know, it kind of sort of applies, you know, without having the, the world to end. I think it kind of applies in a lot of ways to to our world now, right? Like you just have to take care of yourself, right? You, that can apply to yourself, you know, from, you know, physically, mentally to, you know, what, we, what we're doing to the land we live on, right? Like, is it really worth extracting the last drop of oil if you know the water is all poison right like like you just have to take care of yourself i think your, yourself and and the people around you so that, that that'd be it hope that's not like too deep or anything no i i, I love deep i'm gonna ask you a question in a minute which is gonna be very deep so don't don't you were <laughs> so fasten my seatbelt yes exactly so so okay so i guess that that kind of it, it's very true and i think you know that that kind of look after yourself 
we see that more and more in corporate environments now, kind of this, you know, this mental well-being and 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 being aware to that kind of when you're not when you're not being kind to yourself and when you're not giving yourself a time out what you need. So I think that's a really good, it's a really good um, good set of instructions, definitely. Yeah, you know, there's there a lot of maybe not a lot, but there's you know things like that. They're they're really it's, it's simple concept, but it's just not always easy to actually do. So it sounds so simple, but sometimes it can be really hard. You know, simple, simple is often hard. Yeah, it's very true. Very true. So, next question. This is a deep one, and I, and we'll go back to the kind of um, failure one afterwards. But do you even like yourself? Do I like myself? Yes, I I I, I do like myself. So I don't know if that's. Hopefully it's not in a sort of self-centered way, but um, I, I don't think there's anything big, you know. I we all have our failings and our and our failures and stuff. But yeah, I I, I think I if I were someone else, I think I would like to hang out with with myself. So yeah, I do like myself. Good, good. It's I find that question a, a strange one because we never. I don't think we. T- I don't think we get to ask ourselves that question quite a lot. Do I like who I am? Do I like where I'm going? Do I like what I'm thinking? I think it's it's an interesting question where you can probably probe on it a lot longer and kind of go, hmm, yeah, this is good. This is one of them traits. But then, you know, the flip side of that is you can get yourself into this spiral where, yeah. you know. It's okay. yeah, and, that, and obviously uh, things happening around you impact that as well. Like, you know, I you have times when you're thinking and self-doubt and, in those kind of things, but yeah, I think I like that question a lot. Now I'm going to ask you: Do you like yourself? You have Ooh. to answer it. Oh, um, no, and yeah, it's a it's a good bit of a get out. Um, I like myself probably eighty percent of the time, seventy percent of the time. Um, I reckon the other what thirty percent, not so much. I think I could do more. I think I could give more. Um. I think, I think I could probably judge less as well. In fact, I know I could judge less. So I, I do like myself. I think you know, fundamentally, I am. I'm, I, I try to see the best in everybody. I try to try if I if I've got time, if there's an hour where I can chill out or an hour where I can go and help someone, I'll try and always go and help that person. So, you know, it's that kind of, you know, yeah, I do. I think I do, but but only seventy yeah. percent of the time, which is you know always room for improvement right yeah absolutely i i couldn't go as far as like you you went further than me and putting percentages on it but you know every everything you just said there resonates with me too so uh we'll be riding in a similar boat this is good this is good because we, we i think we're going to meet in june at the is it learn tech day we... uh, yeah yeah i'm super excited about it yeah i'm looking forward it'd be good to actually grab a beer and and just have a good old chat so yeah I'll make sure yeah. I, I come over. It's, and isn't it like illegal to go to Belgium and not grab a beer? I think so. That's what I've heard. So National law or something I heard. Yeah. So we'll have to just make full use of that law for yeah, sure. I don't want to run the risk of, of, you know, being in prison while I'm there. So better, <laughs> better take care of it. <laughs> so, okay. So I guess kind of, you know, I, going back to that kind of, um, you know, that failure resume and the one time where you failed, but actually it's been a positive later on down the line. Did anything come to mind on that? Yeah, so not not so much in a specific sense, but um, just I, I it used to be 
I don't know if it's uh, maybe not scared, but hesitant or resistant to when I saw conflict, you know, I would, I would tend to shy away from that or, or avoid it. And, you know, I, I've come to learn that there, not all conflict is bad. Sometimes conflict can have positive results. And I think I've always had sort of a negative con growing up. I thought, Oh, you know, you, you don't want to have conflict. That's bad. And, you know, now I've sort of gotten to a new place where, you know, some conflict is bad, but some conflict is good. And, you know, while I don't seek it out, if I, if I see chances for something to get resolved or something to get fixed or, you know, whatever the case might be, I'm, I'm, I'm still working on it, but I'm, I'm trying to maybe gently lean into that as opposed to, to pulling away. And I think of, you know, times in the past when you know something is wrong but you don't say something typically it's not uncommon for for things to kind of blow up or something to get off the rails as a result of that so that's probably generically um what i would say for that if that's okay okay so i guess just kind of you know kind of coming to the end now on this one mike but what what five tips and I use five, it can be free, don't worry. Um, but okay. what, what, what five tips would you give to someone who's in an instructional design, in L&D, and kind of either by either to stay relevant or look into new I don't know, instructional design approaches or whatnot? What five tips would you give? And it could be it could be kind of, it could be someone who's new to the game or it could be someone who's in there and kind of challenging their mindset maybe. Yeah, so I, so I think the first one is, is, be curious, like find out what other people are doing, get outside of your own field. Um, always look for different or, or better ways to do things. Um, don't just sort of hit that bare minimum and set it on cruise control. So, you know, be curious, do the reading, keep up with the latest in your field. Again, I, I think that's part of being a professional, whether you're in L&D or, or any profession, right? I think you owe it to yourself and, and the people that you're working for. Um, uh, another one is ha have empathy for the people that are on the other side of your e-learning or whatever, whatever you're working on, um, have some empathy and, and consider things from their point of view. I think that's a really important uh, thing to be successful. Um, let's see. What else? That's only two. Um, could I maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Could I maybe? Inter could I maybe interrupt? Maybe let's have a, yes, just just yeah. to look at this and go. Actually, where? How do you stay relevant? Like, what? How do you stay relevant on the new tech? What's coming? Like, how how do you do that? Well, so I listen to podcasts like yours, and I I read what people share. I mean, one of the coolest things I think about our field is there's so many people who share so much really great stuff and, you know, whether it's e-learning people sharing their files and templates and stuff, or, you know, people writing about experiences and things that worked and didn't work and, and just being open. I think anybody who doesn't tap into that is, is really, I think it's a failure if you're not seeking that sort of stuff and trying to apply it to yourself and it just it boggles my mind when I run into people and and 
they call themselves learning professionals, but they don't learn. Like I just, it doesn't compute in my head. It just, I, I can't for the life of me figure it out that you're working in this field, but you're not learning yourself. And far too many times I've had conversations with people that, oh, I don't have time to that. Like what you, no, you don't have time not to learn, right? Like how do you get better? How do you get more efficient if you're not learning? Mm. Um, so that's a, that's a really big thing to me. And you've probably picked up, as I've mentioned it, you know, 800 times about, you know, I'm a big, a big learner. And, but I don't think it's just me. I think, like I said earlier, if you're going to be a professional, you know, you wouldn't want to go to your surgeon who quit learning 20 years ago to operate on you, would you? Right? Like that's insane. <laughs> great. You know, he's he's, he's going to, you know, drill holes in your brain and let the bad <laughs> spirits out or something, you know? <laughs> but there's equivalence to that in, in every field. And so, you know, I would encourage people not to be that type of person okay okay good shout good shout i guess going full circle now mike i'm coming to the end so at the beginning i asked you to pick um i think it was four numbers um and the idea is this these four numbers tally up to a random list of um, items on my ipad and i want you to you're on a desert island and I, ta- I want you to tell me what you would do with these four items okay so your items were a coat hanger a picture frame, a boombox, and a helmet. All right. Well, the obvious one is I'm going to use the coat hanger and the boombox to find a radio signal. So that's two of them. Okay. Um, and I'm by myself, right? Yep. Uh, the frame, I'm going to find some tree bark or something, and I'm going to draw a picture of my family to put in the in the frame and what was the fourth item um helmet a helmet i'm going to catch you're going to use to to catch the condensation and and get some drinking water awesome straight up survival skills there mike i love it i love it (laughs) we can't do much else if we're not alive (laughs) we gotta survive true that is very true (laughs) so i I love that that ending by the way that's pretty creative So I guess kind of, you know, right at the opening of the show, I kind of said to you, you know, when you was in school, your teacher would ask you, what is it you want to be growing up? And as as you've mentioned throughout the podcast, we never really stopped developing and growing. So if I was to ask you this question now, Mike, what is it you want to be when you grow up? What would you say? Um, well, I would I would say two things. I am grateful every day to be doing what I do. I love what I do. I have I have days when, you know, you have the thought where, you know, Hey, they're, this is pretty cool and pretty fun, and they're paying me, and uh, so that so that's one piece of it. And the other piece of it is just to be, you know, to be a good a good dad, and a good husband, and and family person. So I hope that you know when my kids grow up, they can they can say, hey, I had a pretty good role model. Nice. Okay. So, Mike, where can people find you? Where can we find you digitally, like online? Yeah pretty easy easy to find my website uh mike-taylor.org uh i publish a newsletter every friday of you know the top things i found in in the world of learning design and technology um on twitter i am t mike t and uh share a bunch of things on on linkedin and a couple other places but in any of those places there you can find me pretty easily 
Awesome. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Mike. Thanks very much for coming on to the show. My pleasure, and uh, I look forward to sharing that beer with you in Belgium here soon. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, indeed. Thanks, Mike. Absolutely. Catch you later. Bye-bye. Bye.